Welcome to Agents of Nothing, an episode-by-episode recap and analysis from the perspectives of a veteran and a new recruit. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. to our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. We are your commanding officers. I'm Mariah. And I'm Caroline. And today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 8, The Well. Yeah. What have you been up to this week, Caroline? I've been mostly just hanging out with my dog a lot. I've had him for about a month now, and he is a joy. I love him so much. (laughs) I want a dog so bad. (laughs) What about you? I have been so... I quit my job. I was working at Starbucks, and I'm really lucky to be in, like, a at least decent financial situation, having moved back to my hometown, having, you know, family around to fall back on and things like that. And the great thing about a small town is that there are plenty of odd jobs to pick up. Yeah. So I'm kind of just surviving on odd jobs right now. My sister the other day took me to her horse barn to teach me how to do her daily horse chores when she's gone away on business because my sister is a hashtag girl boss. Yeah! Wait, that's so cool that you get to, like, be part of the the horses, too. Yeah, be part of the horses. Be part of the horses. I am one with the horses. (laughs) But yeah, so I'll be, like, shoveling her horse shit when she's gone, and usually I'll check on her cats and stuff, and sometimes I get to keep Bernadette, who is her gigantic standard poodle. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I'm taking care of her pets. I'm going to be cleaning my grandma's house twice a month. (laughs) The other night, here's a funny odd job. I have a family friend who works at my uncle's bar, but she went to high school with my older sister. Mm -hmm. She texted me and she was like, hey, I know you've been looking for odd jobs. I wasn't able to finish my laundry before I came to work, so I have it in a bag with me. (laughs) Can you come and take it and do my laundry for (laughs) Do my laundry for for me and she paid me 25 bucks and some flour nice i got some green in there green and green (laughs) a really good deal yeah for sure honestly i love small town life yeah (laughs) we still have like doordash and waiter and like delivery things out here yeah i feel like small town life is underrated (laughs) here's a life hack If all of the cool, gay, leftist people who can't afford, like, cities and shit, if we all just move to the smaller towns and the smaller cities, we can take it over. We can make it our own. (laughs) And it'll just be like these little utopias. Come on, guys. Join me. (laughs) No one will join you. (laughs) (laughs) It is my mission and my mission alone. (laughs) I will make this town gay. (laughs) Okay. I'm done now. (laughs) Why don't you take us to a different subject and give me a description of the characters? Okay, so I forgot to write this down, but (laughs) I think I remember them. (laughs) Okay. So we have, first of all, we have a couple of like Norwegian rebels, I guess. So it's uh, Jakob the something. (laughs) 
and Petra Larson. And every now and then in my description of this episode, I may refer to them as Jake and Pete. It just, sometimes it just falls out of my mouth. So that's who I'm talking about if I say that. (laughs) Um, And we also meet Professor uh, Elliot Randolph, who is um, just a, he's kind of. He's a guy. Yeah, he's a guy. He's just some dude. He's a guy. Okay. We're gonna <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're recording this pretty late at night, so So in this episode <laughs> we start off with a beautiful montage of like outer space and nature scenes and Simmons is telling us this nice story of how People used to believe in gods and ethereal worlds, and then humanity chalked it all up to folklore, Taylor's version, and myth. <laughs> but now we're learning that the myths are actually true, and these gods and these other worlds are real. But now they are messes that we have to clean up. So this episode was immediately following Thor the Dark World. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I was really excited about this episode because I wanted to see if this format still holds up. Like, it was really cool at the time to go to the theater and see an MCU movie. And then, like, the next week or a few days later, you'd watch the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode that was meant to interact with the events of that movie. Mm. And I feel like that was, like, the original, like, gimmick to the show. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's just the vibes that I got. It was, like, a new concept. It hadn't really been done before. But now, like, almost ten years later, does the episode on its own, without the context of the movie, does that hold up? Yeah. I'm excited to hear what you think. I personally think the intro was a little clunky. Yeah. Like, the weird transition from the voiceover. Like, we're supposed to believe that Gemma is just standing in the middle of all this rubble, and she's like, and an enormous mess to clean up. Is that in-world? Right. Like, did that actually happen? (laughs) It was certainly a choice. (laughs) It was It was a decision that somebody made. Um... (laughs) We'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it more as we go. Uh, so we are at Greenwich University in London, England, and Ward throws a wheelbarrow, 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 I don't know, uh, full of rusty old junk onto a pile of more rusty old junk and then says, don't say I never gave you anything. That felt like a weird line. <laughs> Felt very weird. Fitz is checking all of this, like, rock and junk for alien something or other. And he's like, this is stuff a monkey could do. And I love the way he says monkey. He's like, monkey. A monkey. (laughs) (laughs) And Ward says, you're our little monkey. And he says monkey like a boring American. So I didn't like that as much. I feel like, I don't know, I kind of like Ward's attempts to be funny yeah <laughs> like awkwardly trying to build a rapport he's like i've never done this before go easy on me <laughs> he's like you know we just had like a life life threatening experience together maybe maybe we should try something here uh i don't know but i don't know how to do that <laughs> but then ward ward's attempt to make a friend is like my attempt to flirt yeah like just that's, being me that that is how <laughs> no just this is how I have always flirted I do not know any other way they'll say something like oh this is stuff a monkey could do for example (laughs) and I'm like you're a little monkey (laughs) (laughs) and it has very rarely worked (laughs) 
<laughs> At least it worked one time. That's all you needed. Yeah. Thinking back, it's not that I was ever very good at acting like I was not autistic or that I didn't have troubles socially. Mm-hmm. It's just at a certain point of my adolescence, I became pretty. And so <laughs> I, on a first date, I once called Taylor Swift supreme goddess and queen of my heart (laughs) and then I still got a second date yeah and I feel like that says if I if I were just a little homelier I don't think that I would have (laughs) half the things that I say they're like oh she's so quirky that's so cute what a weird thing to say but if I uh if I if I weren't a fairly conventionally attractive person they'd be like that girl's kind of weird. Yeah. What, what's up with that girl? <laughs> <laughs> then, <laughs> Simmons keeps getting phone calls from her parents, but she doesn't want to pick up because they don't know anything about her life in S.H.I.E.L.D., and she hasn't talked to them since she thought she was dying. And even then, she didn't tell them that she was dying, so she just does not want to pick up. She's like, why waste any of our time, really? And I am worried that she's missing some very important news from them, and I... I'm worried that we may need a trigger warning. <laughs> anyway, I was worried about it, but it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's good. So then Sky is following Coulson as he walks very purposefully through the piles of stuff. Sky's asking questions a mile a minute so as to give us, the viewers, more information on Asgardians, which is where all of this stuff comes from. Asgardians are the alien race that Thor came from and that we on Earth think of as Norse deities. Coulson kind of, like, barely answers her, and he's clearly annoyed, but not with her. It would be nice if for once Thor and his people sent down the god of cleaning up after yourself. They'd probably have a magical broom for this shit. He says this kind of thing, but I think he would have said shit if he weren't on a family network. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Skye wishes Thor would have left his alien ship behind, because she wants to see how it ticks. May is like, why? So we can clean that up, too. And Sky asks if May has ever wanted to take an alien ship for a joyride. Uh, And Coulson reminds her that alien technology in human hands has never ended well, clearly. (laughs) Uh, Sky says that she wants to get her human hands on Thor because he's so dreamy. And Coulson's like, yeah, okay, he's handsome. But and May's like, no, he's dreaming. And okay, dreamy? (laughs) I don't feel like anyone has said that word seriously since like 1968. And I know you said earlier that a woman wrote this episode, but that exchange felt like a man trying to write women and just not understanding what women actually want. (laughs) It felt very, I didn't like that. He's so dreamy. Dreamy. (laughs) I got very excited about a little teeny tiny bit of foreshadowing that I will not give you specifics about. But it made me very happy, Uh and we'll come back to it in a few seasons. Okay. Can I guess real quick? (laughs) I'm going to guess real quick. I think uh, Skye's going to get to drive an alien ship. That's all. Okay. Fitz finds a piece of the alien ship, and Ward takes it, and he sprays it with, like, disinfectant or something, which is very smart. This is COVID times. And he puts it in a padded case, saying, out of sight, out of mind. Did Ward just steal S.H.I.E.L.D. property? (laughs) I, that... (laughs) I did not understand that exchange at all. I felt completely lost. I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Maybe it was something that they were, like, saving and sending somewhere. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But then it, like, never comes back. Anyway, Ward keeps 
continues. He says, that's why we're here, to keep everything under control. And again, I did not understand what's happening. I don't, like, this doesn't, everything that Ward says in this particular scene feels very, like, out of character. Like, I don't, his, the way. A little little stilted. Yeah. it, It was the. No, no shade to whoever wrote this episode because honestly, this is a very good episode. Yes. But the dialogue felt like it was the first time the writer was interacting with these characters. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even think that was Ward. I was like, this is the evil Gramsci Ward coming back to haunt us. <laughs> <laughs> but I was confused, and Fitzsimmons were confused too. So at least it wasn't just us. Yeah. Um, so then we cut over to Trilamarca national forest i hope i said that right in norway um and a pair of park rangers are driving through the forest up to a trail marker that has been vandalized with some kind of like spray paint design it's reminiscent to me of a swastika um and a close-up of the sign reveals a note stating that the trees in this ancient forest range from 400 to 9,000 years old which is just a huge range <laughs> Well, trees keep growing, Caroline. <laughs> I, I mean, new okay. <laughs> but, but then okay. are they saying, but like, has a new tree not grown in that forest for the past 400 years? Yeah. Why that number? What the hell? Say, yeah, yeah, now that now that I'm thinking about it, actually, I'm like, why not just say trees 9, in this forest age up to 9,000 years old? Right. Like, Did everything stop 400 years ago? (laughs) This is a dead forest. Yes. These are the last trees. Um, So then we see a couple of hikers. They're walking along a path in the forest to some ominous music, making this feel like the first five minutes of a Supernatural episode. And actually, the second I wrote this, then they showed like the close-up of the actress. And she was in an episode of Supernatural that was very much like this. She was running around a forest, much like this, to escape werewolves, which was so funny. Speaking of, like, recognizing people from other things, the bad guy in this episode, the, like, cult leader or whatever, mm-hmm. my brain wants to think that I've seen him in, like, Disney Channel original movies or something. Maybe. He has one of those faces. Like, he looks like he would have been in one of those when he was a teenager. But I looked it up and he was never in a Disney movie. Huh. I'm like, I swear to God, you were. <laughs> like, you're lying. You're lying right now. <laughs> His IMDb is lying to you. Yeah, I think I did figure out why he looks familiar. Why, MDB? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, I think I did figure out why he looks familiar. He was in an episode of Ghost Whisperer. Oh. And that was weirdly our, like, family show when I was a teenager. Oh. We'd all crowd around the TV and watch Ghost Whisperer, even my mom. Really? Yeah, like, we had, like, seasons on DVD and stuff. Wow. We would, like, catch up. And then I think we stopped when she, like, had her creepy little son. Oh. Because I don't remember anything past that. I have no idea what show that is. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, like, with Jennifer Love Hewitt, and she, like, sees <gasps> dead people. Oh. And she's like, they have unfinished business. I need to guide them toward the light. Okay. That was my very religious family's TV show of choice. I do that. You just said Jennifer Love Hewitt, and it just, like unlocked a memory in my brain (laughs) moving on so the hikers come upon some boulders that are aligned in like a weird way around one of the trees i guess and they recite a prophecy about something from the north and the south protecting a tree and then they start a chainsaw (laughs) and they cut down this ancient tree that they've been searching for 
Okay. Just casually strapping a chainsaw to your back on a daily hike. Right. How did you get in? Yeah. Where was it? Because it just showed them walking. They did not have a chainsaw. <laughs> they did not have a backpack or anything. <laughs> it just spawned. <laughs> anyway, so the park rangers hear the tree being cut down. And they're like, we should check that out. And like, yeah, I guess so. That's literally <laughs> your job. Your only job is to hang out in this forest and make sure that the forest is okay. I wonder how many times a park ranger has to deal with someone like trying to cut down a tree. Yeah. I they're just know. like, they hear a chainsaw rev up and they're like, fuck, not again. <laughs> That's the third time today. Ah, oh, shit. I guess I gotta check this out. <laughs> So the man cuts down the tree and then he climbs up on top of it to cut another like chunk out of it and he pulls a metal staff out. He climbs back down and he shows it to the woman. And from this camera work, I really feel like I'm supposed to know what this is, but I absolutely do not. I will wager a guess that it is Asgardian. I don't, maybe it's part of like Mjolnir's Thor's hammer's handle or something. (laughs) I don't know. She grabs it and immediately starts having an orgasm. (laughs) And he's like, don't fight the feeling you're having, which is actually great advice for anyone who's struggling to (laughs) orgasm. (laughs) He he tells her to embrace the rage that she's feeling. The park rangers find them and they're horrified at the tree being cut down. She pushes them into the distant trees with her explosive new super strength. And that's kind of an explosion, I guess. She exploded with anger. We'll count it. We'll count it. <laughs> um, so then they flash forward and our shield team is on site to examine the scene. Ward is telling Simmons that he can climb the tree for her if she wants, as long as she tells him what to do with the doodads. <laughs> okay, Grandpa. Just like Aaron. <laughs> do not compare him to Aaron. <laughs> Just the Grandpa part. Just the Grandpa I part. I resent that. <laughs> we used to call Aaron Grandpa. We did used to call Aaron Grandpa. Those were fun times. He was only like 25. But I do have a fun fact later on that will explain the grandpa thing a little bit so okay 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 um (laughs) simmons says she's fine with climbing it but she is more afraid of heights now since falling to certain death (laughs) i wonder if that sound is gonna translate you know when you like you know like the country boys i love you that it's that sound okay (laughs) when when you do when you're like crying and you do a little peace sign you're like (laughs) just stick your little tongue out you're like yeah that's the one editing mariah here it very much did not translate these sounds just over and over again (laughs) i'm sure this is very pleasant for your ears you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) that's gonna be a tiktok Uh, So Ward validates her fears and he talks her through pushing past it so that it doesn't take over. And it's actually so sweet. He tries to distract her so that she can make her way up the tree. And it does work, but she's also very aware of what he's doing. And this is the cutest Ward scene there has ever been. (laughs) I also thought this was very, very cute. It was so cute. Also, the way he like compliments her or something and she's like, yes, I do. With my doodads. <laughs> I love her so much. She's so cute. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so Colson is taking a statement from one of the park rangers who is very upset. He was so freaked out by the hatred in this woman's eyes that he didn't get a good look at the markings on the metal stick that she had before he ran, which is so fucking relatable. If I was ever in a high stress situation and then was asked about minuscule details of it by someone later on, there is no way that I would be able to describe it. Colson even asked if he could draw it. Like, there, no fucking way. Maybe that works for people who, like, actually see pictures in their brain, but I do not. And the concept of it blows my mind. I <laughs> can't remember anything. No, like, same, though. That's one of my, like, biggest day-to-day problems. I think I might be a little bit face blind because I cannot remember faces. Yeah. Ever. Like, there have been regulars at jobs that I've had that, like, come through all the time. And I'm like, we have, we've met before. Yeah? Yeah. I know you. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, under stress? No, forget about it. I can't remember faces on a good day. Yeah. One of the things that made me realize that I was autistic, even though I can make eye contact, like, I am capable of it, is that I don't look at strangers' faces. I will skip right on past it. It feels too intimate. Why would you look at someone's face? I don't know them like that. <laughs> well, and I also feel like you know the the phrase of like, oh, I picture I can picture their face in my mind. I thought that that was a metaphor for so long until like very, very recently. I did not know that that was something people were actually doing. It's more about the feeling for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Simmons is sending her like scanner information from the forest back to Fitz, who's in the lab. And she's double checking that it's not Shatari. And Fitz says, no, don't worry. It's not another viral threat, which thank fuck. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> Uh, And it turns out I was right. It was Asgardian, as it did match Thor's hammer. Fitz gets to work printing a 3D model from the imprint that it left inside the tree. The park ranger is still so upset that anyone would do something so evil as to cut down a tree. And Coulson is trying to get any info at all out of him so they can find out where these people might be hiding. When Sky chimes in on the walkie-talkie saying that they are not hiding, actually. We see a new story of people rioting in the streets of Oslo. It turns out these people were led by the couple in the forest, and they have left a burning message written in fire on the street saying, We are gods. It seems like they could have come up with a better slogan, but okay. <laughs> I like that. I like that as a marketing tactic. Just straightforward. <laughs> Very obvious. Like, your name is Joe, and you own a coffee shop. Like, yeah. Joe's Coffee. Yep. Boom. Absolutely. That's it. Perfect name. Honestly, but like a cup of Joe. I mean, that is perfect, though. <laughs> I did make the mistake of choosing Joe as that example, yes. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so back at the plane, Ward is presenting what they've learned about the angry people. They are Jacob Nystrom, that's the name I couldn't remember earlier, and Petra Larson. They are leaders of a Norse paganist hate group. They riled people up before with Asgardian stories, and now they have an Asgardian weapon. Fitz mentioned that the staff is broken at both ends, and Ward says, so there's other pieces. And Fitz is like, yeah, at least two. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) But this means that Jacob and Petra may be looking for the other pieces to complete the staff. Coulson comes in and he mentions that the markings are, obviously, Asgardian markings. But they have such limited knowledge of the language, it's nearly impossible to translate. Skye suggests that they ask Thor for help and that maybe this is the nail to his hammer. (laughs) 
That doesn't even sound a little bit correct, but okay. (laughs) She's trying. (laughs) She did. She tried so hard. Coulson apparently did already ask Thor, but Thor is off the grid and they don't have his number. Which, wasn't he in Australia or something when he was off the grid in the movie? That's a later movie. Like, much later, actually. Like, so this was in this was in 2013, and I think the movie that you're talking about, at least 2016. So three years later. And also, I think it was New Zealand. Well, Thor really <laughs> likes going off the grid, and I support that. He does. <laughs> he likes his privacy. Yeah. Um, so S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to locate Jacob, or Jakob and Petra, but our team is charged with finding the other pieces of the staff before they do, which will be difficult because of how impressive it was that Jake and Pete were able to find it where they did, in 150 kilometers of Norwegian forest. Sky offers that maybe it called to them with magic, because these are Asgardian rules, not Earth rules. Everyone gives her the classic, Sky is being naive, even though that's what we were all thinking, look. And Simmons scoffs, she's like, Just because we don't understand something yet doesn't mean we should regress back to the Dark Ages, talking about magic and fairy tales. And Coulson says, actually, they're going to talk to the person that helped them figure out Thor's hammer, Elliot Randolph, a professor of North mythology at the University of Seville in Spain. Editing Caroline here. I think I said North instead of Norse about five times in this episode, so just ignore that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Professor Randolph is meeting with a student in his office, saying, I thought I was a professor of North mythology, but as it turns out, I'm a history professor now. (laughs) And so he will not change his student Elena's grade, but he will give her the chance to rewrite her paper, and he'll see her for dinner later? Ew, 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 ew. Gross, gross, gross. (laughs) Did not like that. So Elena leaves his office and Coulson and Fitzsimmons walk in. Coulson immediately names all the specs on the very fancy pen that Randolph has. Randolph is impressed and he asks if Coulson is a collector, to which Coulson replies, on a government salary? No. And like, um, he is though. (laughs) He collects all kinds of stuff. (laughs) So this is a fun fact that I was talking about earlier. I really like this one because I have a personal connection to it. Okay. I'm going to just read it out loud because there's no way I could put any of this into my own words. <laughs> Coulson identifies Professor Randolph's pen as a Waterfield 44 with a 14-carat nib and mother-of-pearl inlay. If a company named Waterfield existed which made fountain pens, there appears to be no remaining evidence of it. 14-carat nibs were typical for any but budget models during the era of fountain pens, making that an easy guess for Coulson. The pin in the show is made from celluloid in an iridescent pattern, which is commonly called mother of pearl, but there's no inlay. Based on its limited on-screen exposure, it appears to be a 1930s-era gold bond with a lever filler, also very common at that time. Additionally, as of the episode's air date, and excluding particularly rare models, a vintage fountain pen is easily within a professor or federal agent's salary. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so my partner, Aaron, is very into fountain pens. It's one of his little niche hobbies. We both have our weird little niche hobbies that are like, I've got flower fairies and antiquing and pen pal letters. And he's got fountain pens and the Sunday Times. That's so cute. <laughs> We're the youngest little old people you know. <laughs> 
All that to say, when I read this fun fact to him, he said, I wonder if they use the name Waterfield so as not to use the actual brand name Waterford, which actually is a popular brand of fountain pens. Oh! I love getting insider knowledge. <laughs> that is so cool! Go, Erin! <laughs> yeah. Actually, I do have my own little insider knowledge thing at the very end of the episode, so I'll get to info dump a little. Woohoo! I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, they tell him why they're there and show him Fitz's 3D model of the staff. Randolph holds the staff under the light and he says that this is a piece of a berserker staff because it makes you go berserk, I guess. <laughs> it's from a myth dating back to the 12th century about a soldier in the berserker army. Fighting with the staff puts the warrior in a state of uncontrollable rage because the staff contained a very powerful magic, thank you, <laughs> Or, as Simmons says, a scientific attribute we've yet to discover. And isn't that what magic is anyway? Just because you know how it works doesn't mean it isn't magic, Simmons. <laughs> yes, exactly. Also, Randolph hits on Simmons, which, ew, get the fuck away from her. <laughs> Fitz immediately shoots him a look and changes the subject away from Simmons. Perfect. <laughs> I loved it. He looks so angry, protecting her from a creep. And Absolutely. I love it. I love him. <laughs> And I'm wondering if the word, is that, is that myth actually like a myth in our world as well? Or did they make that up for the show? I don't know. And I definitely should have looked that up because you know that shit is right up my alley. Yeah. But that would be so interesting if like that's actually where we got the word berserk, you know? I feel like that has to be. I feel like. Right? Yeah. Because I feel like berserkers were a thing. I don't know. I'll look it up later. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll put it in and post in one of my awful sound quality editing Mariah notes. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it. Okay. Enter the note here. Editing Mariah here. You guys are in for a treat because I'm editing outside today, so the sound quality will be even worse. I'm going to wait for these church bells to stop, though. Okay. Sorry. I live across the street from a cathedral. So the berserker myth is real. It's an old Norse myth. The berserkers were those who were said to have fought in a trance-like fury, a characteristic which later gave rise to the modern English word berserk, meaning furiously violent or out of control. The specific myth about the warrior who stayed, I think it's called in the show, that one is not real. But I will leave you guys with this poem um, about the Berserkers. It was composed by Thorbjorn Hornklofi in the late 9th century in honor of King Harold Fairhair. I'll ask of the Berserks, you tasters of blood, those intrepid heroes, how are they treated, those who wade out into battle? Wolfskinned, they are called. In battle, they bear bloody shields. Red with blood are their spears when they come to fight. They form a closed group. The prince in his wisdom puts trust in such men who hack through enemy shields. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay. In the myth, uh, the warriors come to Earth to fight, but one of them ends up falling in love with humanity so deeply that when his army returned to Asgard, he stayed on Earth. He broke his staff into three pieces and hid each one in a different location so that the dark magic wouldn't fall into human hands. He left poetically abstract clues of where he hid each piece. 
The group is unsure where to start, so Randolph suggests looking along Viking raid routes and that there is a site on Baffin Island near Canada with some new Norse artifacts that may be a good place to start. And apparently it's a great place to start because there is literally a Mount Thor on Baffin Island. But actually there's nothing Asgardian on Mount Thor, so never mind. <laughs> Sky is having about as much luck with following Jake's online message boards, where his followers are talking about ascending to become gods of destruction and death, and that they're planning to go underground, which could mean that they're going incognito, or that they are going to start excavations looking for the staff pieces. Sky comes up with several options for where they might be digging, including where they are right now in Seville, Spain. And May found at least one promising location that actually does have Viking relics. It's lots of bones and it's east of a river, so it fits with the poetic clues that the berserker warrior left. So they head out to dig it up. So then Fitz and Coulson are in a car. Fitz says, it must be nice to have mandatory nap time. And Coulson says, siesta isn't mandatory, just very pleasant. But God, do I wish it was mandatory. I am so goddamn tired all the time. I want that so bad. Can we implement it? I I mentioned running for president in the last episode. (laughs) When I become president, I will implement siesta. I thank you. I'll vote for you based on that alone. (laughs) And of course, the troll at the border. Yes, yes, that's our foreign policy. Okay. Yeah. So uh, they check in with Ward, who is crawling through the crypt, I guess, and wishing he was shorter. Finally, some new tall people problems. <laughs> I can fit into small spaces. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then <laughs> I have the most serious, like, like screwed up, mad face on right now. I'm like, mm. <laughs> as if that sound effect is going to show them the yeah, face I'm making. It'll show. Mm. They'll know. They'll know. <laughs> um, and then they check in with Sky, who is very glad that Ward took the creaky, creepy crypt hallway but also she is in a creepy dungeon type room you always put tongue twisters in your own script i'm like (laughs) how does she manage to do this she can do it to myself and i and i fall for it every time (laughs) (laughs) it's because i'm writing this because i'm a writer i'm not a speaker (laughs) anyway uh so words like radar thing starts showing something as guardian but he doesn't see anything fitz tells him where to go from the radar and he catches up to (gasps) the professor randolph found the piece right under their noses and was trying to steal it ward grabs randolph's rod and falls to his knees (laughs) i only put that in because david told me to I caught, I caught the other one later on, but I did not catch this one. Um, he, as he does this, he sees a vision of himself as a child drowning in a well. In real life, he's writhing on the ground and he's unresponsive to Fitz and Coulson. Sky is already running to get to him. As she reaches for his arm, he shoots awake and he jerks away from her. She tries to calm him down and she calls him Grant. That's so sweet. So Ward wakes up, but he's disoriented and terrified. He says the staff was taken, but he doesn't say by who at first. 
Outside, the professor is hurrying out of the building and down the street, looking over his shoulder, with the whole fucking staff literally just sticking out of his bag. You're telling me you don't have a golf bag or something? You are a snooty professor. You use a fountain pen. I know you have a golf bag. So he pushes past this group of strangers who slowly turn around, and it's Jakob and Petra, and they're goons! Oh no, what a coincidence! (laughs) How could we have known? (laughs) They follow Randolph to his car, and they compare rods. Stop, I didn't catch that one either. (laughs) (laughs) I've sprinkled that all the way through this, so... I literally only caught one. (laughs) Is this too much of a peek behind the curtain? (laughs) No, I don't think so. (laughs) Coulson runs over and, oh my god, why is his run so funny? (laughs) Everybody looks funny running in a suit. They do. (laughs) Uh, So he runs up to the professor who is alone and carless. And Petra and Jakob just threw it across the street and stole his rod. And the professor says, I screwed up. Like, yeah, no shit. (laughs) Back at the plane lab, Simmons is giving Ward a full physical, which he thinks is ridiculous. But Skye is like, sit the fuck down. You were acting like a weirdo, okay? (laughs) Simmons asks if Ward was feeling claustrophobic prior to passing out. And he doesn't answer. He just asks why she wants to know. Fitz explains that she's trying to rule out a panic attack. But Ward never panics. Never! So, you know, ruled out. That answers that. Sky confirms that he passed out from touching the staff. And Simmons asks if he's experiencing any extra strength. Ward points to the monitor, showing Coulson interrogating Randolph, and suggests that they find out on that guy. Which, I know that he is, like, compromised by the staff, but... That still seemed weirdly aggressive to me. Like, all he did was take it. He's like, as far as you know, he's just like an old man. Right. Like, why? (laughs) I know that you want to beat everyone up right now, but like, why do you want to beat him up? Fitz tries asking about what Ward remembers from right before he passed out, but Ward does not want to talk about it. He acts like he thinks the line of questioning is stupid, but really, he just doesn't want to talk about his painful memory of feeling helpless and scared. They all listened to the interrogation instead. And Randolph wasn't trying to take the power for himself. He just wanted to be the first to study it and prove that the berserkers were real and actually did come to Earth. Simmons turns off the video because Ward's blood pressure is spiking and he needs to be calming down. Skye tries to quietly ask him if the memory that came up for him was about his brother and if he wants to talk about it. Ward starts getting rude, but like much meaner and more vicious than usual. Fitz tries to stop him from going after Skye, so then Ward starts to turn on him. And Simmons interrupts, saying that she figured out the problem. is that his adrenaline is spiking and it won't come down, so he's staying in that high adrenaline state. She's trying to explain it all when Ward interrupts her and says, Stop talking. Just fix it. I'm gonna punch this man in the face. So in the interrogation room, Randolph is assuring Coulson that he did not help Jake and Pete find the rod. He was just excited to find something that the gods brought down from the heavens. And Coulson corrects him that actually aliens brought it down from space. Randolph swears that he doesn't know any more about the situation. So Coulson leaves him alone in the interrogation room. Ward is at the gym trying to punch away the bad memories and it's clearly not working. May brings him back to reality, and he takes a swing at her. (laughs) Not a good idea, my guy. (laughs) No. Jake and Petra are in a dark, dank 
rave or something. They allowed two of the men in the crowd to touch their rods and start to feel the berserker power as well. This was the one that I caught. (laughs) This was the one that I caught. But real talk, I know that it's like supposed to be scary, this whole thing, like these radicalized people and they're all like screaming and yelling and filled with rage. And it is, you know, it serves a purpose. It's scary, but also... Just watching someone scream at the top of their lungs. Yes. (laughs) It just, like, is funny. It is. Like, I know, I'm enjoying the story, and they're doing a great job of acting, but I also am aware that these are actors, and there was not a score to this when it was filmed. They were just (laughs) in a room, screaming at the top of their lungs, We are gods now! (laughs) We are gods! I know, that made me laugh, too. Anyway, so back on the plane, Ward goes to Coulson and admits that he believes his exposure to the Berserker weapon has impaired his ability to do his job. And the memory that it brought up was the first time that he felt hate, and that feeling won't go away. But Coulson says that because Ward is admitting this, tells him that Ward is trustworthy. But he does not trust the professor. So he offers that Ward should let out some of his rage in the interrogation room. And Ward is very happy about that. So (laughs) Ward walks into the room very confidently, stating that the professor will talk. Randolph refuses, so Ward goes to stab him with a knife, (laughs) which Randolph catches and bends with his bare hand. This confirms to Ward and Coulson that Randolph is Asgardian. Coulson says... Good thing. Otherwise, that would have been awfully embarrassing. What were they going to do if Coulson was wrong, though? Yeah! <laughs> what, what? They just stab a guy? What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? They're like, I have this theory, but it really, really hinges on this guy having superhuman strength. <laughs> So Coulson apparently had his suspicions from the beginning because of Randolph's super fancy fountain pen. Which has been disproven. Yeah. It's actually not that expensive. (laughs) And actually, he would have been able to afford it. And oh no, he is the warrior. I had no idea. (laughs) Simmons says he could have been on our planet for at least a thousand years or more. He must have lived through so many parts of human history. Famine, plague, war, disco. <laughs> I do not appreciate the disco slander. Disco's good. Disco's making a big comeback, and let me just say, I'm here for yes. it. I am so here it's for good. it. It's good. It's fun. Like, what's wrong with fun music? Anyway, Randolph was a mason on Asgard. He broke rocks for thousands of years. That just sounds so funny. That's like, that's like go kick rocks. The thing I'm- about it is, like... I don't know. I love this concept that, like, this guy isn't a god. Yeah. This guy isn't, like, any anyone special. Like, he's not a prince. He's not Thor. He doesn't even know Thor. He's, he's essentially like, I was a grocery store clerk. <laughs> right, exactly. I got drafted, and I went to Earth, and I didn't like it in the army, so I stayed. <laughs> I just happen to live a lot longer than you. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so he was a mason on Asgard. He broke rocks for thousands of years, and then he jumped at the chance to travel as a warrior. But since, uh, like we said, he didn't like the power that comes with that rage, 
He says, it shines a light into your darkest places. He didn't mean for anyone to find the pieces of it, but since the myth was written down, people have been searching for it for centuries. But if they've already found the one in the tree and the one in the grave, then the only one left is close to God. Randolph says that his first love on this planet was Ireland. The monks in a monastery there took him in and gave him food and a place to sleep. And so near God was about the monastery. This just goes to show I really need things spelled out for me sometimes. <laughs> because until reading this, a part of me was like, near God. What about Ireland is near God? <laughs> the monastery is near God. Right. Okay. Got it now. Just only took me 10 years. And we all take our time. That's okay. So as I said, <laughs> the team moves out to Ireland and Ward asks Randolph if the effects of the staff are permanent. Randolph says that the strength wears off fairly quickly but since the rage is worse for humans it will wear off but in a few decades. At the monastery Randolph very humbly leads them into the chapel and to a book at the front on the altar where there is a depiction of him as a saint. (laughs) So Randolph leads them upstairs to the staff's hiding spot. He says that he only trusted these monks with his secret because of their vow of silence. But the staff isn't there, and Jakob comes out of the shadows, saying that he got the monks talking, and he stabs Randolph with the last piece of the staff, and he says, if you want to defeat a god, you have to become one. <laughs> Which is so embarrassing. <laughs> it's so it's embarrassing. It's so dramatic. What is with villains and their need for theatrics? He, like, he, he got the last piece of the staff and then was like you know what instead of just leaving (laughs) i'm gonna wait here for as long as it takes for those other guys to show up and then i'm gonna come out and be like i got the monks talking after they say that the monks had a vow of silence They're like, okay, okay, rehearse it over and over. All right, this is this is my zinger. This is my zinger. And then I, I, I can picture him, like, in the corner with the two pieces of the staff. And he's like, if you want to defeat a god, you have to become one. If you want to defeat a god, you have to become one. <laughs> so... <laughs> Ward takes the staff out of Randolph's body and he roars. And it's the funniest sound he's ever made. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> um, He tackles Jakob over the loft railing. And Jakob is definitely winning this fight on the ground. Brett Dalton actually broke his hand while filming this fight sequence. Oh, no. So, like, the prop, like, the staff was made of foam, but it was, like, still pretty hard, like, still pretty solid. And while he was doing the fight choreography, he accidentally hit his hand on it, and he broke a bone in his hand. No! Aww. And so, apparently, his injury was incorporated into the next episode, which I don't remember, but I believe Wikipedia. Find out next week. (laughs) So, Coulson checks in with Simmons, who is trying to give Randolph CPR, but she doesn't know how his alien anatomy works. (laughs) Why did I say that so weird? Alien anatomy. (laughs) Coulson just shoves his hand into Randolph's stab wound, and Fitz's reaction kills me. (laughs) 
I feel like uh, Fitz and Simmons, even though they're like the brains of the show, they're also kind of like the everyman. Yeah. Because like every bizarre choice that the others make, they're like, oh my God, what the hell? What are you doing? What the fuck? They're like, that's, that's not where a hand goes. <laughs> Anyway, so since Asgardians heal faster than humans, they decide to just find his heart and, like, stop the bleeding for long enough for him to heal himself. Sky interrupts Ward fighting, which is so fucking stupid. (laughs) And he takes on the whole group of radicals, and we finally see his whole memory. His older brother has thrown his younger brother into a well, and the younger one is begging for Grant to throw him a rope. But the older one tells him that if he does, he'll throw Grant in there, too. Uh, I know that's, like, a very serious scene and a triggering memory. Uh, mild spoiler, but not really. So Ward's older brother is listed in the credits as Maynard. Ugh. What an awful name. <laughs> M-A-Y-N-A-R-D, Maynard. And then, they, okay, they went from Maynard to Grant? <laughs> Maynard and Grant. But uh, in, like, later episodes, his name is changed to Christian. Good idea. <laughs> Listen, if your name is Maynard, I'm so sorry, but you already know that it's a terrible name. <laughs> just go, I was going to say, just go by Nard. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> So when Ward comes back to reality, he has defeated the whole human berserker army and is completely exhausted. As Skye is helping him up, Petra comes in. Ward starts to reach for the staff again, but May stops him and she says, this time, let me help. May grabs two of the staff pieces and very quickly beats the shit out of Petra. (laughs) Petra drops her piece of the staff and it all comes together in May's hand like a magnet. She finishes the fight and calmly lays the staff down on the ground. Up in the loft, Randolph is coming back to life, and he hits on Simmons yet again. Like, bro, you are millennia's old. She is like 23. Please get out of here. (laughs) No, I am telling you very sternly. I'm shaking my finger. No, not allowed. So then we fast forward to S.H.I.E.L.D. at the scene, and Fitzsimmons are telling Skye what happened up in the loft. Simmons is underselling herself, and Fitz will not allow that. Then, Simmons' parents are calling her again. She finally answers it, and it's her dad, and she starts telling him about her difficult few weeks. Ward is asking May what she saw in her memory and how she was able to hold all three pieces of the staff and still stay herself when he couldn't even handle a third of it. May just cryptically says, because I see it every day. She lives with her worst memory every day? Yeah. (laughs) That is awful. (laughs) What the fuck? That's gonna pay off later. It's fucking better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. So Coulson is tempted to touch the staff himself when Randolph comes to talk to him. Coulson tells him that the two of them actually have a lot in common since they've both been stabbed in the heart by an Asgardian weapon. Great friendship. He admits that he has no memory of being revived after his stabbing or his recovery. He just remembers waking up months later. And at first, he says he's not haunted by it exactly, but he backpedals when Randolph starts to ask for more elaboration. So then we cut to Ward. He's drinking in a dim pub when Skye joins him and tries a little small talk about the hotel that they're staying in. Ward apologizes for going off on her before, saying he's not that guy. And like, okay, but he sometimes kind of is, though. (laughs) 
Ward opens up to her and tells Sky, well, just a little bit. <laughs> he tells Sky about the memory he saw, but only like one sentence that it was about his brother. But that's still progress for him, I guess. And then he changes his mind and he excuses himself. And God, they are just so in love with each other. <laughs> Um, so then Ward and May are going to their separate rooms at the same time. May goes into her room with a bottle of liquor and leaves her door open and Ward follows her. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? That is Sky's mom. You cannot hook up with Sky's mom. No, 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 no. No. My note is literally, oh, I can't wait to see Caroline's reaction to this. Oh my God. Her head is going to explode. (laughs) It did. <laughs> Go Ward for bagging the sexy older woman, but May, <gasps> you would stoop so low. <gasps> I hated it. <laughs> I don't like this for either of you. <laughs> At all. Ward, you are trying to avoid your feelings, and May, you are making a bad choice because you were also just exposed to your dramatic, traumatic memories. Bad, 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 bad. So I screamed a lot at that point. I, <laughs> David can attest to this. So I had to pause for a while <laughs> to calm down. A few days. <laughs> um, so then we go to the post-content content. Coulson is getting a massage on a beach in Tahiti. The masseuse says he seems very relaxed. Coulson agrees. He says Tahiti seems to be too good to be true. The masseuse says, I know. It's a magical place. And then Coulson wakes up from the dream in a cold sweat. And then that's it. What the fuck? What is happening? What happened to Coulson? Was he even in Tahiti? Ah, I can't. I, um. (laughs) My note for this was also basically just, I can't wait to see what Caroline has to say. I also screamed. I screamed a lot in this episode. (laughs) It's just, it like, ugh. It gets so juicy. So juicy. 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 They know how to do the build-up. That's one thing that the show does so well. Oh, they build it up. It's so yes. good. Oh, God. All right. Overall thoughts? I, I Yes, I have a couple. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I am not here for Warden May. I am not. It is not good. I don't like it. <laughs> I understand that they have similar life experiences that may make them a better match than Ward and Sky, but they have been grooming me to want Ward and Sky together. They have too much chemistry, and I cannot accept this. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I think that's also what I didn't like about it when I was first watching. Like, I, I wasn't thinking about, like, oh, they're both making bad choices because they were both severely triggered today. I was like... What this is such a weird bait and switch. Like you've been building up Ward and Sky this whole time and he's going to fuck May? Yeah, what the hell? What's going on right now? That was never indicated. I feel so betrayed. <laughs> uh, my other thought was I don't think Coulson was ever in Tahiti. I think that Shield like planted the memory in his brain to just cover up whatever the fuck they did to him. I guess that's more of a guess. Yeah, that's a good guess. My conclusion, this episode does hold up. I think it definitely stands on its own. Um, And here is my chance at an info dump. Please, yes. Um, So following the airing of this episode, 
the president of the Universal Society of Hinduism called for an apology for its insinuation that the Hindu god Vishnu could potentially be an alien. In a statement concerning the incident, the society said that faith is something sacred and attempts at debasing it hurt the adherents. Television in Hollywood should be more conscious while handling faith-related subjects, as television and cinema were very mighty mediums, and these could create stereotypes in the minds of some audiences. Hinduism should not be taken lightly. Symbols of any faith, larger or smaller, should not be mishandled. Um, and actually, a fictional version of Vishnu has previously appeared as a character in Marvel Comics. So I have like a certain fascination with religion as a concept, and I've studied world religions and such, uh, and I definitely do think that religion and culture, especially those outside of the mainstream we've created of white Christianity, isn't necessarily something to be mocked. It's a very nuanced topic that I don't think I could fully get into, but yeah, using someone's actual present day religion as like a comic book character doesn't sit right with me. Like, Norse and Greek myth are fair game because those beliefs have fallen out of popularity. But if you're writing a fictionalized version of a marginalized culture's deity, I think that it would have to be done very carefully and respectfully or not at all. And definitely, preferably written by someone with roots in that culture and religion. Like, there are ways to do it, I think, but it, you do have to do it delic delicately. Mm. I feel like I don't know enough about the topic to have an opinion. And that's fair. More people should learn to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm definitely not, I'm not an expert in Hinduism. There was a chapter in my world religions textbook. But yeah, I just, I love like the psychology of religion. Uh, why humanity forms religions, like almost every culture has some sort of belief system or at least mythology. Yeah. I think that um, religion and culture are intertwined in ways that um, a lot of people, and especially like lately I'm seeing a lot of atheists just write off all religion as if they're all the same as American Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're not. Obviously, you're coming from it. You're, you're coming to your atheism from the perspective of a white Christian, usually. Uh, so that's the only context that you have. Right. Not all religions are like that. Not all religions are even meant to be taken literally. There are atheist Jewish people who still very much consider themselves Jewish because it's their culture. Yeah. I don't know. I do think that it's very important, and I, like I said, it's very nuanced, so. Yeah. <laughs> Info dump. Yeah. All right, well, that concludes our episode on Season 1, Episode 8, The Well. If you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on TikTok at Agents of Nothing Podcast, on Twitter at Agent Nothing Pod. You can also go to anchor.fm slash Agents of Nothing and send us a voice message with your thoughts. Uh, and you actually can also donate to us on Anchor now. Yeah. You can also email us at agentsofnothingpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, it's starting to get really juicy, so goddamn, please tell us what you think. <laughs> All right, so um, our personal social medias, you can follow me, Mariah, on Twitter at fullswampwitch underscore. 
on TikTok at Submarine Warfare and on Instagram at Submarine Warfare. And you can follow me, Caroline, on Twitter at RustyPage95, on Instagram at underscore RustyPage, or on TikTok at CrazyGinger995. Next week, we'll be covering Season 1, Episode 9, Repairs, so stay tuned for that. Okay, bye! Bye!